0: I recently actually just had a title change. I'm now the service editor. And that means that I handle our service journalism and if you're unfamiliar with what that is, is back in the newspaper days, it would be the things that you would kind of cut and clip and maybe put on your refrigerator that really good. I know I'm going to use this later kind of stuff. So, my job is to figure out how we can take what's going on in the industry, what's going on in the news, and make it serviceable for the reader to use that information in their business.
1: You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Risser, Executive Vice President, Strategic Partnerships with Rate My Agent, a digital marketing platform designed to help great agents harness the power of verified reviews. For more information, head on over to ratemyagent.com. Listen in as I interview industry leaders and get their stories and journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 363 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Yes, we're in year nine. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. I have a fantastic guest lined up today. We are going to be talking to the contributor wrangler, the, <laughs> the columnist that handles the real tea column, and part of the Inman team. I'm going to be talking to Danny Vanderbu. And for those of you who have been in the Inman world, maybe as an ambassador like I am, you've met Danny. Uh, she's an amazing woman, and we're going to have a lot of fun with this. So let's get it started. Danny, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: We go way back. So you've been with Inman for eight, going on nine years. Is that sound about right?
0: That's exactly
1: right. Yeah, and i've I've been an ambassador at Imen. At that time, I was one of the gang that was the, kind of that core group that got through the teens, I guess we'll say. Because there's definitely a different shift in the in the plan, which there should be. There always should be some shifting in that group of people. Uh, so I would run into you at events and things, and so that that's very cool. But yeah. this is going to be a lot of fun because I've never really, uh, you know, I've interviewed some people at Imen. I've interviewed Brad. I've interviewed. Craig, which was super fun. I had no idea his background. And I love getting the background of people, right? So that's what we're here for. First of all, I think you live in the St. Louis area now, and I think you're a native Missourian. Am I on track there?
0: You're close. I moved here when I was three.
1: Okay. That's close enough. I think that's,
0: yeah. If if you say, I don't remember much else, let's say.
1: Yeah, that's true. And so my first question is this What do we need to know about Missouri that we don't? And what should we forget about Missouri that we believe?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a tricky one. You can go anywhere Um, you want. I would say that our super loud politicians don't necessarily echo the sentiments of the entire state. Okay. And I would say there are a lot of gems past the Arch and Bush Stadium, though, those are amazing. In st louis that are worth seeing and there's like kind of a push for urban revitalization where they're using a lot of buildings that were raised at the beginning of the century and of last century and they're having um a good time kind of coming up with these great uh, urban revitalization projects such as the armory where they've put in this great like food core and all these food trucks now have like a, a sorry that's the foundry um but they have a, a home now. So they're, and, and they use the original um, like machinery yeah. and different pieces throughout to kind of harken back to the previous. That's the kind of stuff I love about St. Louis. Yeah. The City Museum is my favorite place in the city.
1: That's great. Yeah. And I, tell me, you know, so St. Louis, I'm going to really, I'm going to butcher this probably pretty badly. <laughs> <laughs> St. Louis is uh, on the eastern side of the state correct Correct. and and kansas city is uh close by it's up the 80 or up some freeway it's not far away it's about
0: four hours west
1: okay oh i see the full
0: other side of the state okay Mm -hmm.
1: so and there's like you know there's there should be this little rivalry between the i'm just going to throw this out there the cardinals and the royals but some something tells me it's more the cardinals and the cubs and you (laughs) as you shake your head
0: (laughs) it's very much the cardinals and the cubs um the cubs are like it's it's funny they're like the all time enemy, but like at the end of the day, I think most Cardinals fans would rather see the Cubs go all the way than like the Yankees go all the way.
1: <laughs> yeah, as I sit here with the Tampa Bay Rays hat on, and uh, just came out of a Yankee series where the last place lowly Yankees uh, tried to draw the Rays into a little bean brawl incident, but the the, the, the Rays said it's not worth it. Not worth it for us. They're uh-huh. they in last place. We don't care. And that's a great feeling, right, for all fans uh-huh. except for, yeah. except you're a Yankee fan.
0: <laughs> yeah so we take sportsmanship seriously here at bush stadium
1: <laughs> yeah tell tell me about um even as a child growing up you were a cards fan i mean there were some really good years yeah. going through joaquin andahar i'm throwing some names out there that i know from a while ago that you, hopefully you're old enough to remember i don't know
0: so as a kid it was like a huge ordeal to go down and see ozzie smith and like even before i was aware of like what baseball really is you'd go down and watch just to see if he would do backflips you know huh. like that was
1: that was the good old days. Yeah, Ozzy. I I watched Ozzy in San Diego, where I grew up. So we lost mm. Ozzy to the Cardinals, and we got Gary Aww. Templeton, who was nice. He just liked to flip people off a little too much. And I don't think Ozzy. <laughs> I don't think Ozzy ever did that. So
0: Ozzy would never do that. <laughs> all
1: right. All right. So we'll move off of that. I, I like to find out from people, especially because I generally talk to realtors, right? People in this in the business who almost all of them had a first career, and real estate was is a second, sometimes third, right? And But I'm just going to I'm hoping I'm just going to guess for you is see you in your high school. Were you thinking journalism? Was that on your radar right at that time? Or what were you thinking about?
0: So it's funny because it should have been because like, okay. so as a kid, I would like write book reports on like the encyclopedia. And like I grew up very much reading a lot. And like in middle school, I did the paper. And then in high school, I had this teacher. I really he'd make me read out loud and I was not confident in reading out loud and he would make me read shakespeare out loud. And this guy was the head of the newspaper and like the entire journalism section at our school newspaper, yearbook, all of it. So I did not go into that, but at the time I thought that I wanted to be like an Indiana Jones, like the female Indiana Jones. I wanted mm-hmm. to go into archaeology and anthropology. Then after I had my accident, I it just wasn't it wasn't going to be the way I wanted it to be. So I wanted to find something else. And then yeah. that's when I turned to writing and figured journalism would be the next path.
1: I'd like to talk about the accident if you're okay with that.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, and I'm so open about it. Don't worry.
1: I think there's an opportunity here for for me and for a lot of people listening to understand how to approach people, how to talk about things, right? So Yeah. for those who don't know, you're a paraplegic, you're in a wheelchair, Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, I think it, you were a a teenager when this happened. So let's talk about that process a little bit, you know, where you want to go with that. Um, I'm open for it.
0: Sure. So my big goal when I was a kid, you know, growing up was to go away to school and I got into a school that had archeology span as a minor Mm -hmm. and anthropology as a major. And like I said, that was kind of a driving factor of what I was, you know, it was like affordability and like, where can I study what I actually want to study? And so I went to this school in Cape Girardeau, Missouri called Southeast Missouri State. And there's this hill, um, it's called Cardiac Hill. And years later, I worked with the lady at Macy's. That was that was my first career. Um, I worked with her and she was in her 60s and she had gone to school there. And she told me that when she went to school there, everybody went sledding down Cardiac Hill. So it's like this long standing tradition. So we had had this really great snow. It was like 12 inches of snow, then mm-hmm. some melting and then more snow on top of it. It was like irresistible if you're a snow person, right? It's almost the end of first semester. And we've been gathering friends for like hours to go sledding. And we finally get out there and there's a like a baby pool, you know, like you put your two-year-old in this little plastic baby pool, right? Yeah, right. So being this smart, you know, 1920 somethings that we were we thought it would be a great idea for us all to go down together and the hill is so steep and the snow is so deep that the boys had to like pull pull it up you know like it took several boys to pull this pull up to the top of the hill and and by the top i mean like maybe halfway because they pulled it to the closest tree braced it up against the tree let some boys get in let the girls get in and then the rest of the boys got in all in all there was maybe 10 of us wow and on our way down so either we hit a bump or somebody bailed and and we turned somehow we turned trajectory and so now we were facing backward and when we got to the bottom we hit like a light post Mm. and so everybody just kind of dogpiled like right on top of me and fortunately nobody else was hurt and um i kind of knew immediately like I knew something wasn't right. I said, just leave me here and call, you know, call nine one one and and that's what we did. And I went to the hospital there. Unfortunately, they didn't have, you know, the right facilities for spinal cord injury, which is what I had for Mm. those of you who know what that is. It's um, at the T twelve L one level, so it's pretty low and it's incomplete, which means I do have some movement, some feeling below the waist. And so they couldn't air vac me up to St. Louis. So we ended up like taking an ambulance up and then I had like a long surgery and then they switched me over to a rehab facility. And then I went back and had another surgery and then rehab facility until February, that was December 5th, February 13th is when I got out of the hospital.
1: And at that point you're at a place where there's not going to be any improvement or is there always a chance? How, how, how does that, how were you feeling at that point?
0: It's, Oh, at that point, um, I was fully hopeful that I would be, you know, up and walking Mm -hmm. immediately.
1: And then I, I, you know, my question to you is this, you, you probably have people come up to you and ask you, you know, why are you in a wheelchair? Is what, what is the proper way to, to ask that question? Or is there, is there no proper way?
0: So I think like, okay. So I think like, it it depends on kind of your rapport with that person, right? Mm. Like, um, I think if you just walk up to a stranger, it, you know that's kind of uncomfortable. Like you you wouldn't just walk up to a stranger and ask them about you know like a deformity or a birthmark or whatever. Like right. use your judgment. Right. However, there are many in my in my belief system who you know we believe in talking about it because that's what creates awareness, and if we have awareness, that's how we move forward, right? So, like for me, I'm happy to talk about it, and a stranger could walk up and ask me, and I would give them the full story, but. Other people maybe are more sensitive and there's a grieving process that goes along with the whole thing. Like you're grieving who you were and it takes, like, I don't even think I realized it as I was going through it, but like it takes time. And, and if you catch somebody who's maybe a little in their grieving, they may not respond in the same way.
1: Right. What would you, what, what would you wish people knew about your, your life in a wheelchair? What, what should we understand? Does that make sense?
0: yeah i think that there's this concept this misconception that like oh you know you're in a wheelchair now you can't do any of the things that you did before and like your life is virtually over and like that happened when i was 19 and since then you know i've i've had a career stopped that career got my master's degree started a new career i'm scuba dive certified i've done a half marathon i've had a baby like there's very little that i feel like i haven't accomplished it just doesn't look the same way as it did when I was 19.
1: Right. Yeah. That's great. That's great to hear. I love that. You mentioned the second career. Let's start there because this is really exciting. You you got your master's at the Missouri School of Journalism, which doing a little research, I knew it's important because I always think of Northwestern for like certain things. And I think of Syracuse for other things and Missouri's the other one, right? Like there's these three schools that feel like they're, whether it's on air or writing and that sort of thing. But I, I found a couple of places that said it's arguable that the Missouri School of Journalism is the best school of journalism, not only in the country, but in the world. That's pretty cool. Is that <laughs> so? So let's let's talk about, um, first of all, you know, that experience. And uh, obviously, it's to me, it's obvious why you chose it. It's, it's the best.
0: <laughs> well, the location didn't hurt as it. <laughs> As it's about ninety minutes from where I currently live, okay. but fortunately, you know, maybe part of the career path was determined by the fact that one of the best journalism schools in the country, and arguably in the world, is in my backyard. So, backing up, so when I had my accident, I was like working weekends at Olive Garden, and uh, long story short, I got fired for some for opening the door after close even though I had asked for managerial permission to open the door it it pretty much felt like they didn't want me there and I was okay not being there if I was not wanted sure so I went across the street and applied over at Macy's and got hired almost immediately and I sold housewares and I was working through you know my undergrad degree Um, I had a slew of health problems throughout my undergrad degree that Mm -hmm. were just you know like random and made it harder i graduated in four years which at at the time that was a big goal for me because like i said college was my first goal Mm -hmm. but then when i graduated i graduated in 2006 and as you know like housing hit bottom in 2008 so like there weren't a ton of jobs i knew i wasn't getting a job in communications (laughs) right so i went to macy's and i got a job there and it was good enough money that i could you know um, like use my disability money at the time to pay for my education, live on my own. Because I went back to my parents' house for about six months and they live in a two-story and we just realized it wasn't going to work long-term pretty quick. So I had to get an apartment. I got an apartment with a couple of girlfriends and kind of like learned to live on my own in that way awesome. with a safety net, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then I lived with a boyfriend for a couple months and then... I realized I didn't enjoy living on someone else's lease and I went and got my own lease. So now I'm living by myself, but I'm still like 15 minutes away from my parents and I have a fabulous support system, but they're like, maybe a little too supportive sometimes. (laughs) Sure. So they would just take care of things. And it's like, I knew I wasn't really fully taking care of everything that I would need to, if I was going to move away. Right. Mm -hmm. So I started this I, mentally, I called it project cut the cord. And I just decided I was going to, you know, start working further. I, like, I switched my job down to the Galleria. So it was like 30 minutes into the city. And then I moved 30 minutes away from my parents. And then I started, you know, like studying and applying, like I had to take the GRE. So I took a two week vacation. At this point I was managing um, the Lancôme counter. Mm. I had worked, in prescriptives, which is no longer in existence, as the counter manager, it went under. And then I went to La- Estee Lauder, and I was not the counter manager there. I was just um, a sales associate. Estee Lauder, I love, but it wasn't really like my makeup vibe. So when Lancome came along and said, Do you want a counter manager position? I was like, Yes. So I moved over there. And makeup was really fun because there's a lot of equivalents that are like, similar experiences in selling in the department store that kind of work in my understanding of what real estate mm. how real is, like for instance when you have to cold call to get business for like your gift with purchase so it's a lot of cold calling you have to walk up to people in the store that you don't know yep this is sort of like door knocking and get them to come back to the counter with you you know it's those kind of things which were helpful but so i took two weeks vacation I studied on Khan Academy math because I hadn't taken math since high school for those two weeks. And then I took the GRE and wrote an essay about essentially everything that had happened to me from when I had my accident and to why I wanted to go into journalism. And a big part of that was there was no upward mobility in the job I was in. There was nowhere to go. Um, And it wasn't what I wanted to be doing when I was you know, 45 or 50. I wanted to do something that to me would be fulfilling, would change day to day that would have travel opportunities um and i wanted to get my master's in journalism so i applied um by the grace of god they took me and i i mean at this point i had no no practical like i'd never worked in an office i didn't even really have a professional email i didn't have any kind of technical skill whatsoever like iphones were just i don't think i even had one yet they were just Mm -hmm. becoming affordable you know So in 2012 is when I went to J school. And the reason that I personally would argue that it's the best school in the world is I had, you know, two your master's program is two years and I knew nothing going in. And by the end, I wouldn't say I was like a great journalist or anything, but I had the foundation to build on the skills that I needed um, to become, you know, someone who could do this as a profession. and, Luckily, I landed it in, and they've been so nurturing.
1: That's awesome. You, as, as you come out, um, a proud tiger, I'm hoping. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Was Immin the first thing you did, or, you know, was real estate on your radar, mm-hmm. I guess, is the question.
0: So, no, actually. Um, so, you're supposed to, like I said, you're supposed to have two years for your master's, but I wanted to stay a little bit longer because I knew I really didn't know mm-hmm. everything, and I had more to learn. So, I stayed over the summer. Um, after I was supposed to graduate. And then I took the next semester to defend my professional project, which is like a mini thesis with a professional component. And so to fill that time between when I was supposed to graduate and when I, my next job, I made sure to get an internship. So I worked at this alt weekly in Greensboro, North Carolina, Mm -hmm. and it was fun. It was like, you know, editing, like basic editing and like writing about food and theater and so it was fun. Um, but it was mostly to fill the resume because I didn't have a whole lot. And so I had been interviewing for jobs there. I, I don't have any family there. I was just wanted to live somewhere else and see how it went. And this uh, gentleman, Britt Chester, had taken over as editor-in-chief shortly after I arrived. And he had worked with Amber Toffin, who you'll probably remember from way back. And she was the editor-in-chief at Inman at the time. Mm-hmm. and. I swear we were walking out of work one night and he looked like a bolt of lightning hit him in the head. And he was like, I know someone who's looking for a journalist. You could be that journalist. And yeah, she hired me. I talked to Brad a couple of days later and that's when I started with 50 contributors and
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the rest is history. Yeah. that
1: And I know <laughs> Britt as well because he helped out with some, uh, some really cool software to make uh, the, the, in the connect experience, like real time right now is super cool. We were all like, we felt like we were all photojournalists if you did it right. And he would be, yeah. he'd be super happy if you, you send him some good B-roll. <laughs> so shout out to Brit. <laughs> That's
0: yeah. great. Yeah. Um, Brit for all you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So, uh, f- first of all, just a quick question. Um, Brad's an sure. interesting guy.
0: Uh, do you have a
1: story you want to share about Brad that you can share?
0: Yeah, actually. Um, and I'm going to try really hard not to cry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so when I had my daughter, um, she was premature. She came at 26 weeks and four days. So it was just over six months. And I did not have a ton of vacation time saved up. And they allowed my coworkers to to donate time so that I wouldn't be working a whole lot of time. And he donated something like 180 hours so that I would get paid while I was taking care of my daughter in the NICU. Ah,
1: that's... That's the that sounds like Brad. That's awesome. You mentioned um, contributor wrangler.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I did contributor
1: <laughs> wrangler. I love that phrase, uh, and I, I I I know that you. I was part of that for a while. I I, I but for the life of me, I can't remember what I wrote about, but I'm sure you had to do some heavy editing on it. So I apologize right now for that. But talk about that role, and I I I'm, I'm I've got to assume that hurting cats is definitely something you've said before. I'm just guessing. <laughs>
0: Yes, but usually not in relation to this. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but it does somewhat feel like that, or it has felt like that in the past. So like I said, when Amber um, handed over the program to me, I had about 50 contributors. And at the time, the goal, and I will say, I'll preface this by saying it's its evolved in a big way. Okay. But the goal was to have you know five contributed posts a day. And I knew nothing about real estate. Really, I mean, like I had a general idea, but I didn't really know anything because you don't know what you don't know, right? Right. So I was just going and doing my best to get these posts up. And then over time, um, I recently actually just had a title change. I'm now the service editor, and that means that I handle our service journalism. And if you're unfamiliar with what that is, is back in the newspaper days, it would be the things that you would kind of cut and clip and maybe. Put on your refrigerator, that really good, I know I'm going to use this later kind of stuff. Right. So my job is to figure out how we can take what's going on in the industry, what's going on in the news, and make it serviceable for the reader to use that information in their business. And part of that is tapping into our boots on the ground contributor network, which has grown to something like 1,500 contributors in my tenure. Wow.
1: Wow. It's a big
0: number. (laughs) (laughs) They're not all like 100% active, but we have, you know, that's what we've had over the years. And there's about 50 to 60 who write at least on a monthly basis. Okay.
1: Yeah. Like Rachel Heights, one I know, right? Is she a contributor or she's moved up the ladder a little bit? It looks like, is that true?
0: She's kind of a contributing editor at this point.
1: That's awesome. And then I see Sue Benson doing some stuff. That's pretty cool. Focusing yep, she's hard on a good Internet. contributor. Yeah, yeah. So there's all these people that uh, that I have relationships with, and who have, I've had them both on the podcast. So it's super cool to see their their name, you know, on, the, awesome. on my Inman News emails, which is cool. Twice a year, Inman Connect rolls around. I'm sure there's some joy involved with that, and there's also some. Oh, here we go again. I mean, got to be honest, it's got to be a ton of work. I would love to hear what what um that typical day in an image connect event looks like with there's got to be deadlines looming because there's content going out the next day <laughs> so
0: so i will start by saying that you know like eight years ago or even five years ago it looked very different than how it looks now a big part of my job is is you know recruiting new contributors so i spend a lot of my time now having trying to have face time with people yeah um Meet new people, have Facetime with the people that I already work with, see as much stage content as I can, so that we can translate, you know, what the conversation is to our pages. Um, I actually spoke at this last Connect, um, both on the woman upstage, and uh, I hosted the great door knocking debate with Rachel Height and Ernesto Vargas. Yeah, that was great. It was really, yeah, they were yeah. both really great.
1: Yeah,
0: um, both contributed. Like both are contributors, so they had both contributed a bunch of pieces on the topic prior, and that's how that panel came to be.
1: Nice, that's nice. So, so what's that timing look like, though, as far as you know, someone like Craig who's a writing madly right?
0: reporter? Uh huh. Well,
1: how's that go? Is it yours is a little easier than his? It sounds like if you had so, to-
0: yeah, I may cover one or two sessions, but our reporters, with the guidance of our editor in chief, Jotham Setterstrom. He makes up this massive document that has all of the things you would ever want to know and like really tries to make it easy on the the journalists who are okay. running around frantically. And basically the expectation is, you know, you watch your panel and as soon as you could file, you file. And then at home, like we'll use Vegas as this example. I was the only editor who went and the rest of the editors were at home. Okay. So they stayed home making sure that everything got edited and put up and that our newsletters were being written and everything that was timely was getting out. Because another part of what the service, the service team, part of what I wrangle, um, is is that we run the agent edge newsletter, the broker edge newsletter, the team's newsletter, um, the basics, which is our new agent newsletter, and wow. then we also staff AMPM and the weekenders. Wow! wow. There are I still newsletters that. outside of that that I yeah. don't wrangle. Yeah, but there,
1: there's no excuse for missing an article at Inman. There's none because. <laughs> it's going to show up on the weekend or it's going to show up on one of the other, you know, kind of, um,
0: we try to get it out there. (laughs) Yeah. Summary
1: newsletter. So that's great. Uh, There's some news happening right now in the world of real estate. We just happen to be recording this. Um, I'll say the date on August 28th, 9th, 8th, 9th. 9th, August 29th. And, um, yesterday, Kenny Parcell, uh, resigned from NAR and uh, the New York Times released an article last Saturday that was damning of NAR leadership and it's it's really created a lot of um, commentary a lot of action you know Sue Yannikon comes right to mind with what she did over the weekend with uh, Bob and leadership anything you know I I know you're a journalist so I think we'll stick there but your thoughts on this and where we're you know is there is there what's next that's really tough
0: well so i'll kind of talk through kind of how we've been covering it if that works for you Mm -hmm. um so as we've kind of we had discussed this previously but i've been on the circuit of of going to women's conferences the past few years so i've been attending and speaking at women up Mm -hmm. and awesome females and just kind of really focusing on listening to the voices within that group and they've you know, been speaking about the different systemic issues that have been happening. And to some, within that network of women, we had heard that this story was coming before it it, it came. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so on June 27th, Brevard filed a suit against NAR for racial and sexual discrimination. Um, and she withdrew the suit nine days later. So that happened right before, um, you know, the awesome females conference happened. And so we spent a lot, you know, in those conferences, we were spending a lot of time discussing, you know, what the state of the industry looks like. And, um, we had gotten word that the New York times was going to be doing an expose. We had some idea what was going to be in it. And on our end, we were ready to, you know, put forth what our reporting has been. Now, um, yesterday I was covering the entire org because our EIC was out for appointments. Um, and it was interesting because Saturday we all came you know our group came in we thought that the New York Times article was going to drop on Saturday but we weren't 100% sure so we had went ahead with you know plan A of newslettering and then we came in on Saturday published the store our story um and then made that our A on Monday and then on Monday we were expecting you know outcry and and Reaction and so we had reporters covering all of it from the reaction to, um, you know, what the system that um, puts these leaders into in process in, yeah. into office, um, yeah. what those processes look like. There will be a lot more coming, but so far we have reaction and a lot of op eds,
1: yeah.
0: And, and, um, I what happens next is unsure, but. Kenny Parcell did resign yesterday about 3.11, I believe it was, um, Central Time. Actually, the Times ended up quoting our reporter. So that was pretty exciting. And it was after outcry from leaders like Sue Yannicom who publicly... And she was one of the few who publicly said, Right. This is not okay. I am calling Bob Goldberg, blah, blah,
1: blah. Yeah. Look, I think real estate's local. Always has been, always will be. It's local, right? And I think that what I, the the thing that I've seen over the last you know few days is just how important the local associations are to an agent. It really matters about you know the, the the MLS that they belong to, and that the association more than likely owns the MLS or their state level association. And NAR seems to be this thing just sitting out there with a lot of money. From a lot because it's the largest trade association right in the country, so they have lots. Yes. Re, they have lots of revenue and lots of opportunities to do great things, um, and maybe those opportunities aren't being met. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see where where this all plays out. Um, but it was uh, for me shocking, yet at the same time, you're like, oh man, you know this. Maybe this was. Maybe we should have seen that something along these lines coming. Does that makes sense.
0: Yeah. What's interesting though is, um, so since the first lawsuit had dropped in June, I did some reaction after that story. I helped with the reaction on that story because I I'm plugged into that women's network. Um, and unfortunately most people I called weren't surprised by it. Mm -hmm. Um, it was mostly women. And the, the flip side of that is that there's so many people who just can't, they feel they can't talk about it. Hmm. There's contracts with NAR, there's contracts with other associations. There's, um, you know, when you look at cases like this outside of real estate, um, there's often a hefty sum paid out and there's usually non-disclosures involved. And, you know, there's a bajillion reasons that women aren't able to speak about these abuses. And I will say that it's nice to, um, to see that the New York Times was able to get, I think it was twenty-nine women right. on the record. Right, that's not an easy feat in itself. Um, but a paper like the Times that has that legal arm and, and you know can is credible in that way nationwide to the consumer and everyone. You know, this isn't a story that's going away anytime soon. Yeah, I think we'll
1: have to pay attention and see where, where it goes. Well, let's have, let's talk about something more fun. How about that? How about how about Let's this? How about this? I'm going to assume that you really, really like the project called Real Tea. <laughs> By the Thank way, name you. is fantastic. Name is fantastic. Real Tea. Let's. So for, I'm not going to. Sh- I'm not going to spoil the surprise. Uh, for those that don't know, explain what Real Tea is.
0: Um, it's where real estate and reality TV intersect on Inman News. Nice. Um. In Vegas, we were just sitting around the table and our Lockhart Steele, our content um, director, was like, who likes reality TV? And I was like, (laughs) this guy, I like reality. (laughs) Um, And he was like, you should be writing a column. And the first column I wrote was about Jason Oppenheim and and he was discussing um, Compass. And um, he was being critical of Compass, we'll say. Okay. And yeah, it, it's been a really fun column. In fact, today we were on a, a virtual press junket for the next season of Selling the OC, which will drop here soon. There will be a new Realty column coming in the next week or so.
1: Is it relatively easy to get access because of the... I mean, you got a ton of readers. Ton of, so I'm sure that for the PR people for these shows, they're like, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's get an interview or something.
0: I think there's a little bit of pull there because real estate doesn't typically love reality TV. Like there's kind of a, like, no, I'm not unaware of the fact that reality TV does not necessarily um, portray real estate in the most accurate way. But what excites me about it is you do see people using this, this TV mechanism to build their business. And um, for like you'll see on Real, real housewives, for instance, you'll see, women come in with absolutely no brand, no business. And then they build up these like massive businesses just using their TV personalities. Right. So the intersection of that into real estate just felt like a really fun thing to be able to, you know, to to talk about and also to have a little fun with outside of the tougher stories that we cover.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, it probably seems like, I don't want to say it's less work. (laughs) but, it feels not at all. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, in some ways it's more work because, because everything is so public, you you really have to be kind of on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You got it. I
0: like that assignment. So it's okay.
1: Yeah. You got to know your stuff. I love that. Uh, Yeah. uh, Danny, this has been awesome. Let, let me, um, Uh, Let me finish with the same question I've asked every guest. Now, you're not a realtor, but I know you have an answer for this question because all of us do. What one piece of advice would you give a new agent just starting in the business?
0: Create content. And by content, I don't mean vanity content. I mean content that will help your clients through the process, that will help them know who you are and what you do to help them. And and then the second part of that is Push it out to the world. Like make sure you're on the socials, pushing out your content, showing the value you offer, and really just double down on doing those things. Make video, make articles, push it out there, get your face out there, be the realtor they know.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Danny, if someone wants to reach out to you, maybe they want to apply to be a contributor. What's the best way for them to do that?
0: If you want to be a contributor, please reach out to me at danny at inman.com. And I can send you all of the information you'll need.
1: Awesome. That's great. Danny. this has been great. Thank you so much for your time today. And uh, I'll have, I will, I'm going to pay a lot of attention to realty. I promise you. I can't wait. So, <laughs> all right. deal.
0: <laughs> I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor to be included on this long running podcast that I've listened to so many times.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Real Estate Sessions. Please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash sessions to leave a review or a rating and subscribe to The Real Estate Sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app.